Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, and welcome to George F. Pierre Radio. I am your host for this evening, Wednesday, December 28th. Tonight's episode explores the woman's perspective in the world of sports entertainment. My first guest, Saudi Mitchell, graduated from Temple University in 2003 with a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism. Shortly after, she began working in the sports and entertainment industries as a production assistant. She progressed in her career as a freelance editor and producer, with her work being featured in various television programs and documentary films that have aired on TNT, ABC, ESPN, and NBA TV, amongst others. I welcome Sadia Mitchell. Hi, Sadia. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well, doing well. My next guest is Jameer McKnight. She's worked in the sports industry for over five years in marketing and brand management. She first got her start working in college athletics with Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. She then went to work for Disney's Wide World of Sports, Orlando Magic, and most recently after four years with the New Orleans Hornets in the marketing department. I welcome Jameer McKnight. Jameer, how are you? Oh, I think she got disconnected. Well, thank you again for joining me tonight. No problem. Yes, yes. Um, so while we wait for Jameer to call back, I think she got disconnected. I'll start with you, Sadia. I know you've, you've delved into a little bit of sports entertainment. What led you to want to work in sports entertainment? Well, um, I graduated from Temple with a journalism degree, and I, I was just trying to search for a a different route because I, I don't know that I really wanted to write um, right. for a magazine or a newspaper. So somehow, um, you know, this kind of this industry overall, whether it's sports or entertainment, it's all about who you know. So I, I met someone who had worked with an organization that catered to sports and entertainment, and they got me an interview. And when I realized how abundant it was with opportunities at the time, I figured I would try it out. So I got into an entry-level position as a tape logger uh, for producers and editors of live sports entertainment news and um, some programs that they did in-house at this place. And from there on, I just stayed um, as a production assistant for the next few years and moved on up from there. Now, what's the, the the position? I mean, I know you know you work for a sports organization, but what's the actual position that you do? Is it in marketing? Is it branding? Is it journalism? What department are you in now? I'm in uh, uh, television production. I work as an editor and as a producer on uh, different programs that air on different places. And and now, how long? I mean, from you starting off as a production assistant, how long did it take you to get to the position that you're in now? It took about four years um, because the, the first position that I had wasn't exactly a production assistant. I think those of us who know what production assistant means. We know that it entails a lot of running around and and doing different menial tasks. But in the beginning, I was strictly um, logging tape, which is this process where you go through – I was doing basketball games at that time – where you go through um, the entire game and you pick out plays and things that editors and producers might want to use. So that was my Ah. first job. And after that, I moved up to a proper production assistant role where, you know – 
I went to games or I was here in the office and I would run and, and get paper, coffee, and all that other stuff. So I did that for about four years until I moved up into the role of editor. I guess the question is, is that a standard amount of time? Because, you know, when people think about jumping into these types of positions, they want to move up immediately. Is that right. is that theme about right as far as the timing was concerned for you to get to where you at least got to, to do more than tape blocking? It really depends on the person and on the uh, place that you're working. Because, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to move up in a short amount of time um, where production is concerned just because you have a lot of people who may have the same sort of skill set and they may not be moving up into producer or, or associate producer roles. So, you don't really have the the chance to move up to an editor position for a while until somebody else leaves that role. Um, and it's hard as a production assistant to also gain the kind of skills you need as an editor when your your daily tasks basically take up all of your time. It's just like, you know, you you want to sit down and learn how to use an editing system, but you're, you're regulated to going and uh, getting, like, all kinds of uh, different things for your editors and your producers. And I think that for me, four years seemed about right just because I was able to learn as much as I needed to learn in order to move up. It may be right. different for someone else. If you go to right. school for um, broadcast journalism or if you go to school for film, you may already have some type of skill set to move up sooner. You never know. And it's really all about either who you know or how aggressive you are at trying to get that next position. Right. Now, Jameer, I think we're, we got you back. Jameer, are you there? Yeah. Okay. So I know your background is a little bit different. Um, I know we went to school together, and I know you to be a sports enthusiast, and you did a little bit with ODU in Norfolk, Virginia, and then you kind of moved around a little bit. How did you end up getting to where you got to? So how did you get into college athletics, and how did that lead to you working or having worked for the New Orleans Hornets? Well, I started out in graphic design, working in creative. Um, I started working under athletic director for Old Dominion University. She was the creative director. And basically, I create I created brands and the look and feel for university. From there, I went and did an internship at Disney's Wild World Sports. Um, and in that role, I just was straight marketing, and I branded the marathons, the Walt Disney World Marathon, Disneyland, all of that, all of those races, endurance races. So it was a little different. It took me out of my element into something that I had never done before. Yeah. And so did from you, there. Did you enjoy it? Was that ideal for you, or you wanted to do something else? I don't know if she got disconnected. Okay. Well, sorry, I know with, with you working for a sports organization, obviously, is it safe to say, or is it accurate to say, like some of these organizations are seen as boys' clubs, or do women have an equal opportunity to move up in their position as equally as men? Did you see any of that? Yeah, it's definitely a boys' club. Uh, naturally, it's you know there are less women that are gravitating towards sports. Well, I wouldn't say that naturally it's less women. I would just say that historically, as these organizations were built and as they were formed, more men had populated the ranks over the over the years. And then, you know, you would slowly but surely start to see more women in it. And um, I guess at the time that I started to work in sports, um, there was there are a healthy number of women out there who work in this industry in many capacities, not just in production, but 
especially in production, I feel like there's, you know, there's a niche group of women that are there. And I would say if you want to do it percentage-wise, it's probably about uh, 80% men and 20% women. Like that, right, that, I right. mean, that's just from me observing, doing different things and going to live events and games and such. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and then you do get the sense that there is a boys' club. It, it tends to to feel that way when you're, you know, walking around and talking to different players and you've got, like, a swarm of other men just surrounding you and waiting for you to mess up and ask the wrong question because it's just assumed that women sometimes don't know as much as men as far as sports right. are Shamir, can you – are you still there, Shamir? Yes. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I, you you had cut off when you were talking about your internship. I, I, I know you said you had gotten down to Orlando and you were doing some stuff out of your comfort zone and that eventually led to you working for the New Orleans Cornets. Yeah, well, while I was in Orlando, I also did game day staff with the Orlando Magic, which I worked under a woman in that field, and she wrote a great recommendation to the director of marketing who was okay. who had moved on to VP of marketing for the New Orleans Hornets, and that's how I got in the position with the New Orleans Hornets. Now, I mean, on the outside looking in, to sports enthusiasts, it sounds like a dream job working for the NBA or even – a sports organization, starting with you, Jameer, would you, would you agree? Is it a dream job? Um, is it a what job? Yeah, it absolutely it's, is. I mean, to me, it's a great, and, you know, it was my dream to always work for the NBA, you know, right. and it's not easy to get in at all, by no means. You, it's really uh, who do you know that can, you know, recommend you and praise you on the work that you've done. Otherwise, they're, you know, they'll interview you, but if you don't have someone else in the inside or someone else that they know outside of the industry or within the industry that gives you a recommendation, then it is even harder for you to get in. And I was lucky enough right. to do the Disney program, which is highly recommended going into sports, and there's not very many African-Americans doing that program. I think it might have been three or four when I was doing it, and you had to be working on your master's to get in the program. So. Uh. I see, I see. And I had and I just asked Sadia, do you see, was the NBA like sort of a boys club or did women have equal opportunity to move up in, in the position as well? Well, with me, I've always worked under women in sports. All of my directors have all been women. Um, I think on a director's level and a coordinator's level and lower, you'll see more women. But as you get into presidents and VP positions, you don't see very many women in those roles. Or African American right. about that. Well, so I mean, it's to both of you all. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think it's easy for women to get to a sort certain point, and once you get to that point, it's like you're beating down a door to try to get in. Uh, uh, that I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, because when you think about the NBA or just any sports organization in general, you think about one, you don't see that many women besides like the sports casting, and even that, like, I don't even see that. So I'm right. curious on um, for both of you all, like. How many women worked in your department, and did you all get along with them, or was there like, did you all ever experience any backbiting? <laughs> Would you like to go first? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, you, you want to kick that uh, off? <laughs> sure. I mean, I I don't. How many are we have? About five or six of us in my immediate department, and there's a good twenty to twenty-five of us in my department. Alone, and this isn't just all of production. This is a small section in production, but we all get along. I feel like the the five of us have kind of gravitated towards one another, just because you know it's it's comforting to see another female face every now and again when you're in a meeting and there's two of you and there's like 18 guys in the room. So 
Um, but that's not true for every department. Um, you know, obviously there are some departments that will have more women than others. Production is one of those that seems seems to be populated more by men. But uh, I don't know if this is true in Jameer's case, but in marketing positions, you would see more women typically if you compare it to production or um, get, you know, live events and attractions like people who do uh, things for the games, the live events or the halftime shows or anything like that. That seems to be populated uh, by more women than in production. But then again, it's still heavily populated by men as well. Right, right. And so, so did you ever, Sadia, come across backbiting women? Kind of, you know, it's just, it's so weird to say, like, when you see less women, that's when women tend to kind of get really um, petty and, and uh, catty. Did you ever experience that at all? No, not personally. I know that it has happened in in the yeah. places that I've worked. Um, I, don't, I can't really speak on it just because it's never happened to me personally, but I know that it right. does happen. Um, yeah. And then, as, to Jameer's point, there's not many African-American women uh, in the places that I've worked. It's, I mean, you, we're very few and far between, so I've only experienced, like, general outreach from those women just because, it, you know, it is comforting to see another another face that seems familiar to you, and they seem to be really receptive and open to helping you out because they know how hard it was for them, but... In general, women, I think I have heard and seen sometimes where there could be some cattiness or, you know, just some overall tension, to say the least. That happens in the department. Jameer, oh, so I know you laughed earlier. I'm curious on, on your experience. Um, In my immediate department, there were only two women, uh, me and my boss, who was the director of marketing. Uh, within, like she said, for event presentation and game operations, there are more females um, in those departments. They are in the basketball, a part of the marketing umbrella. <clears throat> you will find more females in that, but I mostly worked with guys. I worked with two graphic designers that were male and then I reported to a female. And um, in the NBA, I found a lot of cattiness um, in my yeah. role there. Just a struggle of power and the stresses of what they're trying to handle and then personality conflicts, which shouldn't, to me, I feel like personality conflicts shouldn't really interfere with your work and what you produce and what you bring to the table. But some women or some people may take it the wrong way and want to make it a part of your job performance when it shouldn't be. Instead of doing your work, instead of your boss being your boss, sometimes they want to be your friend, and you're like, no, I'm just trying to learn and do my role, and I keep my work work and my outside life my outside life. I did see a lot of that where people would intertwine their relationships and then, then find themselves fired because, you know, people within the organization knew too much about them, and it led to it led kind to of some... Kind against them in a sense. That's what it felt yeah. like. At the end of the mm-hmm. day, yeah, they could. They found a way to do it, yeah. Now, what about some of the myths that take place working in a sports organization? I mean, you're, you all you know, were both women working in a man's world, in a sense, like the man's sports world, which is dominated by mostly men. What were some of the myths that actually really ended up being myths and working and working in the in the, the field that you all worked in? So, hey, we could start with you. If um, any, at that, if there were any myths. I just thought when I came in here that it would always be awkward. Is that as a production system, what what would happen? Um, I'd often be able to go to games, and my assignment was to follow around a camera guy and, and assist him with tapes or whatever. But we would have access to uh, locker room pre and post game, 
So, and then this this also allowed us to get into the locker room before any of the other reporters and, and whatnot because I worked for a sports organization. So, you know, you would hear rumblings about other girls who have gone in and, and things have been inappropriate or very uncomfortable just because the guy, you know, the guys want to be able to be guys in the locker room and walk around and do whatever they want. But then, right. you know, the, the presence of a girl just kind of... <laughs> It makes it a little different for them to have to deal with. Um, but I've never really had a problem. And any time that we've had to go and, and deal with players on a, a one-to-one basis, it's it's been respectful just because, you know, the team, whomever the team uh, PR people are or whoever's dealing with the players, they make sure that the players are on their best behavior at all times because they don't want anything to reflect badly on them. And also, they don't completely trust anybody with a camera, no matter who you are, no matter who you're representing. So they don't want anything to, to get back to another news organization, even though that's not what we're allowed to do. Also, you know, there's also that, and this is true with any place of business, uh, as a female, when you when you walk into a place of business, it's always assumed that you know you have to act a certain way, or else you'll be taken. It, it'll it'll how do I say this politely? You don't want to walk into a situation where you might be deemed as a flirt or any other of those things. Right. Um, when especially when you have a, a person who's a superior of yours who happens to be male and. I find that if you if you seek out that kind of attention, you'll definitely get labeled as such. But if you don't seek out that kind of attention and if you try to stay to yourself, as, as Jameer was saying, you know, you try to keep your business separate, it, it can, I think it can reflect better on you as opposed to you trying to intertwine your work and your, your personal life. I think that's always a really bad decision. Yeah, I mean, because I think about some of the examples. Like, there was a woman earlier this year. She got called out. Um, I think she was a, a, a sports broadcaster as well, and she was in the locker room, and some stuff happened, and, and people were like, why was she in the locker room to begin with, or why was she wearing what she was wearing? So all of a sudden, right. that shifted from her approach right. to the, the men not just being on their best behavior. So I think it's, it's so unfortunate that that tends to happen. Um are there any other myths that we that 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 you could speak on as well? Um, kind of just in your role, or are you working with the team that you worked with? I mean, I think what she was talking about the way females carry themselves it, it reflects highly on you know how they judge you, and they and they you know as much as they try to act like they're not judging you, they really look at what you do outside the office and and how you react to players when they bring them by your you know your desk for meetings or you know I. I think within the organization that I was with, I saw about eight girls get fired. The player, you know, inappropriateness or, but they weren't directly fired for that, but that started the whole, you know, role effect of let's pay attention to this young lady because she's putting herself out there like that. So I, I saw a lot of females go down, and they were really educated and really smart, but they got, you know, caught up in, you know, the athletes and not the work. Right. So it's it's right. kind of dangerous when you work around players that are making millions and you're making thousands. They don't want that. They don't want those problems, yeah. and they were right. eliminated. You know, it, it's true. So, okay, well, I mean, what about the perks? And what what are some of the things that, I mean, people that would, like if you thought about working for a team or a sports organization, people come up with all these perks in their head, some may be true, some may not be true. 
I have a great perk. <laughs> yeah, like, so I'm curious, what were some of your perks, Jameer, uh, working for, for the team? Oh, in New Orleans, like, I didn't have to pay for, if I walked in a restaurant or clubs or anything, you walk right in the door, there's no waiting in line, there's no, I mean, and this, as an employee, you get almost the same respect or or too much respect as they get the player, because they know that you have access to tickets, too, just like the player has access to whatever they have, so you get a lot of perks within the city. New Orleans is a very small city, so you get a lot of those perks, and then, you know, within giving back to the community, you get to, especially with New Orleans, you get to see a lot of the city, and you're giving back to places and things that you've never heard of in your life, and to me, that was a perk giving back, because it was like that, that whole city was devastated by Katrina, and the organization right. took the time to put all of us in these situations that we would never have the opportunity to be in while fixing up New Orleans. Nice, and nice, and I mean, obviously, so you could add to that on top of games, getting into yeah, the game. Yeah, you get to go to games for free. That's a that's a plus. But that's the biggest thing. I didn't go to the games. I went during you know I went till halftime and then went home. I was like, I got work in the morning. I'll catch it. My best thing now to me was at, on my sofa, you know, after a long day at work. So. Right. Claudia, what were some of the perks that you enjoyed, too, along with some of the ones that Jameer mentioned? Uh, Well, aside from getting to go to games, and in particular, um, I've been able to go to, uh, like, championship series where I've been on the court underneath the basket where people have been paying $1,000 or however much for their front row tickets, and I'm sitting right next to them behind a cameraman for free. I'm working, but I'm there. You know what I mean? That's obviously a huge perk in itself. Also... Um, I've been able to travel quite a bit just because, you know, sometimes being, you know, we work for the leagues or I've worked for leagues. So um, on behalf of the league, we'll go out and we'll cover games and for archival purposes. And I've been able to go, you know, virtually all over the country in order to do that because we only have a few cameramen that we have that are attached to the leagues themselves. So it's not as if, we have a whole bunch of people who are going out and covering it on our behalf. We do have that, but on occasion we'll fly out and I'll be able to produce a, a camera crew and be in a different city, and it's it's pretty decent. Um, yeah. And also just being able to to talk to some of these players who, you know, one day could be legends and Hall of Famers and, and seeing them, um, you know, when they're – in their downtime and not serious on the court and just kind of being goofy and being themselves, it's, it's nice to see another side to them other than just what you get to see portrayed on uh, television during a basketball exactly. game or a football game, you know? Yeah, I I, I can dig it. I I mean, of course, all, all these assumptions come to my head because I just now got back into the game that since the season just started back up a few days ago, and I know they're going they're going ham on all these TV channels, TNC, ESPN, doubleheaders, tripleheaders. So uh, it's you know obviously you hear all these things and you see all these things, and then obviously you all get to see the opposite of that. I mean, on top of those things, you get to see like no, this is how they really are, and kind of just get rid of I guess the misperceptions about them. Um, I know with you working for a specific team, I know, obviously, I mean, you can, for whatever you can speak on with this, since you're no longer with them, but I know the lockout was like a very hot topic. Did that affect you directly or indirectly when you were dealing with that with the team, with the Hornets? Oh, yeah. I mean, we basically, uh, you know, the the Hornets are owned by the league. So we had <laughs> even more stipulations than a team that had its own owner. Because um, ah, all the team okay. owners owned us. They can make a choice for us, you know, 
But basically for my role, I mean, we just had to get the branding ready. I mean, my VP is, was excellent. Like, he made sure that we always had something to do so it wasn't looking like he was doing that because teams were firing three, 400 people. I think the league total lost about 400 people total that they had to fire during the lockout because there was just not enough hmm. work. But with the Hornets, yeah. like, we were working – all day, you know, creating the brand, well, my department creating the brand and getting all the signage created, I just couldn't spend anything. We just weren't allowed to spend anything until we knew the lockout was over because if we spent and say the season didn't go at all, then we wasted the money because we would end up changing the branding, the, you know, the next year whenever basketball would come back to something else. Right. So we right. we stayed busy. Like, I, you know, we're communicating with my vendors and always letting them know, you know, when it starts, this is what I'm going to need. This is, you know, this is how much I'm going to spend. Things on so let's work it out. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, so so, it, I mean, maybe from both of your perspectives, did y'all think it was going <laughs> to last as long as it did? And, and then what would have happened if they didn't come back? I think a lot of people would have lost their jobs if it didn't come back. It was. Yeah. It would have been a big ripple effect throughout the whole – NBA, there's no way they can continue to pay everyone when there's no work. There's when nothing there's no work. I don't know. I don't know if they would have did that, but I I can't see why they would continue to employ people that are not would have doing anything. People. Yeah, yeah. Because I was reading stories I, even about how it was a thing affecting the cable network as far as, like, the channels that would air the games right. and, and how they had to kind of scramble to get, like, college basketball and football games to air. And they and did it. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, they did do it. The game was going wild, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then no, not only that, that, you know, you also have to think about the residual effect in the towns and cities that these places yeah. do teams mm, come. So, like, a team like Oklahoma City or New Orleans Hornets or – a smaller market like Sac- even Sacramento and California, those teams really add a lot of revenue to the, the surrounding areas and the restaurants and whatnot. So when those teams weren't playing in October for their preseason games, it you know it affected businesses. So had the season been lost, I can guarantee you that there would have been a lot of people hurting, not just the folks who work for the league itself, or for any of the teams, people but around. people who are in that area. So, you know, it's, it's yeah. a good thing that they were able to work out what they needed to because it, it would have been it would have been a, close to a disaster for some folks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. A, a I mean, lot of the arena folks were very upset because a lot of those jobs were their part-time jobs that helped them pay extra bills and do Christmases and do stuff like that. And so when the arenas were closed, they couldn't make any money. Oh, and that, okay. that's a big ripple effect. You have mentioned something real quick. I, I, I didn't really realize. You said something. You said, like, the, the legal owned um, teams and then there's the, the specific owners. What's the difference? Like, what does that mean? Well, the league and, is all the owners. So the, right. all of the owners own the New Orleans Hornets. They bought it from the previous owner to make sure it stays in New Orleans instead of selling it. Owner. Yeah. Yeah. So a single owner sold it. One single owner. We have no owner. The league owns us. Uh, We do have, like, a governor um, who's really great, but at this time they're, you know, making the team profitable so we can, so they can sell it. Okay. I got you. So instead of, like, most teams, like, I know people can call out who the L.A. Lakers owner is and, you know, this team and that team, but when you think about the New Orleans Hornets, it's a a multitude of people, basically, that have their hands. Well, there's one, you know, David Stern is the point. You know, he did bring someone in as a governor that kind of presides over all the business dealings. But at the end of the day, he will make the last decision when it deals with I see. trades and okay. money and, big, you know, a lot of spending. That is, is his role. Right, right. 
Now, Lausadio, do you see a continued future in sports entertainment, or is this something for the here and now for you? For now, uh, this is, you know, currently what I'm, I'm going to be doing for a little while. Uh, I do have designs on trying to work for the Olympics at some point, and I'm trying to make that oh, happen. Nice. Um, that's always been my dream. I, I've always wanted to work at the Olympics in some capacity. But uh, in the future, I probably will shift over to uh, – just normal like entertainment, television, and film. Um, you know, I've been in this for nine years now, and I feel like I've gotten my fill of it. And while I see their potential, there's potential growth. I just, you know, I may want to try my my hand in some different things otherwhere uh, elsewhere. But you know, I, it's it's not that I don't like what I do. I do enjoy being in the sports environment, but, um, you know, it's just, it's time for me to move on to different things, I guess. And, Jameer, what about you? I mean, where do you see yourself going in the future, career goals? Well, I've already you know, left sports. sports. Right. So, I, I just, I, go back I resigned sports. two weeks ago. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's an industry that, for women, is very, very tough. It can be, it can be very, very tough, and it can burn you out. Like, you can be burnt out after... You know, so many years of doing the same thing. It's, the NBA is is repetitive. Every year you do the same thing, same time, around the same time, and you know the same cycle. So if you're a person that likes to learn new things and wants to grow in their you know roles, you might have to step outside the box. It's not going to okay. change how you know is a game. There's an opening night every year. You know, there's 41 games a year, and there's a you know playoffs and all that. None of none of that stuff changes. So if you if you know that you want to do more for yourself or want to do something different, then you're 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 gonna get burnt out easily and want to leave. Is, is that can you can you say that's what kind of happened to you, or you just were just ready for something different? Well, I did get to a point where you know I had learned everything possible in my role, and there was nowhere else for me to go in that company, or nowhere else I wanted to go within the company. So I knew it was time to take my talent, bring them to DC, somewhere else, a bigger <laughs> market. So that's what I did. Okay, I can dig it. So closing words, ladies, um, and I know, Jameer, you kind of brushed it on you, but, Sadia, what are your suggestions or insight for um, women wanting to enter the sports world? And, and Jameer, you could definitely add on to, to this um, as well. But I'm curious, for someone that says, like, I want to get to where you all have been or I want to enter this world or enter sports entertainment, what would you say to them? Well, um, it's really about what, kind of things that you're comfortable doing and and I don't know that you have to know a ton about the sport itself. I think you just have to be open to working in an environment that can be very taxing, as Jameer said, that can be very dominated by by men. So, you know, there's few women that you'll be surrounded by. And it's also about being able to explore an industry that is very different from other things. I mean, I've been able to work in other places where it's just been film or television and catered to a different clientele. And then I come back to sports and it's all, you know, it's it's very flashy, it's it's very privileged in some ways, um, and it's difficult to kind of maneuver around, as Jameer was saying, into different positions. So if you enjoy working hard and, and you enjoy being around uh, high paced environments and and don't mind working in an industry where, you know, there's a, a huge economic disparity between yourself and the people that you represent. 
I say go for it. Um, and it really, you know, there's so many opportunities to work in, in any capacity. You could do it in my role in production where you're dealing with television and film all the time or you do it in marketing. You can do uh, team management, sports and health and fitness. Um, there are different roles out there. So it's not just about knowing the sport. It's about knowing your craft. And if you know your craft, you'll be able to work in sports. Tamir, uh, do you have any anything else to add to that? Well, my I always tell people don't get into working for a team if you think you're going to make a lot of money because that's not the case. <laughs> you don't make a lot. You work really, really hard really hard, but you don't make a lot. You do it because you love it, and it's something that you enjoy doing every day. For me, my greatest accomplishment while doing all this is working hard, but also you have to network. You have to step outside. If you're not a communicator or, you know, it's hard for you to, you know, get to know people, you really have to do that to maneuver yourself, especially to get into a league because it's all in who you know at the end of the day. Like, if someone can't recommend you, then that person's not going to want you for that role. You know, they're going to they're gonna think twice about hiring you for that role. So it's, it's in who you know, and you got to stay focused. And if it's females in the role, just don't mix business with pleasure. Don't come into the league thinking you're going to marry a ball player and all, because most of those guys already have girlfriend, wives, all their, you know, X, Y, Z, before they even come in the league. So you're just... right. <laughs> uh, you know, something to do extra, and then you lose your job behind it. So it's like you, you got to stay focused on your goals and your aspirations and let it not be what his goals are or whatever you, you're trying to, you know, think you're going to get into because that's not going to happen at the end of the day. You will lose your job, and you will not get a recommendation from the team or anyone because you're going to be labeled as a groupie who, you know, jumps from team to team trying to find the next person to take care of them. So I've seen that happen, definitely yeah, in the NBA. that's Fair enough. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me. Um, greatly appreciate your perspectives. Um, that was definitely an eye-opener. I'm glad you all were able to break down some misconceptions I definitely had about working in the sports uh, world. So I wish you all a happy new year. And, um, thank yeah, you. Thank you. And thank I will definitely be in touch with Jameer. I know we'll definitely have to link up since you're in the area yes. now. So. Definitely. <laughs> yes. yes, ladies, you all have a great evening. I'll talk to you all soon. Thank, thank you. You too. Thank you for my guests, Sadia Mitchell and Jameer McKnight, for joining me and offering the woman's perspective on working inside sports entertainment. You can catch this episode and other archive shows, podcasting on iTunes by searching for Jeff Pierre in the iTunes store. Thank you all for listening all month as we celebrated our two-year anniversary and closed out the new year. Tonight obviously marks the last episode before January 2012. I'm so excited. Thank you to all my guests that I had the pleasure of speaking with this year, and most importantly to you, the listener, who have been supporting me from day one or even recently discovered me. I'm grateful for you all. Expect to hear more fresh perspectives and entertaining episodes for 2012. If you have a show idea or suggestion, email us at info at brnskn.com. And I leave you with this quote. There can be no happiness if the things we believe in are different from the things we do, and that's from Freya Stark. Thanks for listening to Georgia Pia Radio. Have a safe and happy new year. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.